0: share a scripture from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Now, before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him.
1: The first word Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. They tortured him, they mocked him, but they didn't know who he really was. The crowd got caught up in the moment and joined in with the others and kept shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. They did not understand. Jesus knew that they did not recognize him as the Son of God and asked the Father to forgive them as they did not know what they were doing. God sent his Son, Jesus Christ, who was without sin, as a sacrifice to save us from our sins. Through this pain and torture in his last hours, he was still able to forgive them. What an awesome example he sets for us. We are to love him with all our hearts and love others just as he loved us. We don't know what other people's hearts like are like. He does, so we must love everyone and forgive them just as he would to love includes forgiveness. In my life, I've been hurt a lot. Most of those most of those were the closest to me. probably the one that hurt me the most was the one that I did the most for. I paid thousands of dollars to make their life easier. The most hurtful was putting fifty four thousand dollars in of my retirement money, plus much more into other things for them home and other things when I told them that all I wanted was respect and appreciation from them. Their response was, you have to earn my respect. It broke my heart. I spent many years waiting for an apology, or at least a kind word that never came. I prayed about it, but I had a hard time forgiving them and forgiving myself for not being able to forgive them. In the past few years, God has given me a heart of forgiveness. I have received much joy from forgiving the people that hurt me over the years, but never apologized. There's nothing more comforting than having the pain and the grudges and the hurt removed from your heart and filled with the love and forgiveness of our God. Thanks be to God for sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to show us how to forgive.
2: In Luke Luke the 23rd chapter 43rd verse it says and Jesus replied I assure you today you will be with me in paradise I looked up the word paradise (laughs) and it's two other times in the New Testament so it's not in there a lot. But paradise, just think what it is. I've read a couple of outstanding books, I thought, about people who had died and gone to heaven and then came back hours later. And they they didn't want to come back. They wanted to stay there. Everyone I've ever heard that actually went there didn't want to come back because they were in paradise. Where, it, To me, though, what I think about paradise is Jesus is going to be there and we'll get to see him. <laughs> I hope that That'll be all of us, all of us will enjoy seeing him more than anything we've ever done, I'm sure. Isn't that going to be great? It's going to be great to see him, to see God the Father and to see Jesus sitting in his right hand. I want to tell you, I, I've told this and so many people I don't think believe me. I was in the hospital holding my wife's hand, and she died. And I could not get sad because I knew where she was going, and I knew that she had been my wife for 55 years. And. The same thing happened when her sister died not long ago. We were very close, and I just got so excited because she was going to be in paradise with Jesus. And so I hate to people say things that are contradictory to that because that's going to be our blessing all of us should be look forward to the day that we're going to be with jesus in paradise because he's going to bless us there and that's what to me is paradise is the blessings that we receive from god the father and from jesus because He loves us so much that He'll never, never leave us. And one other thing I hope that all of us receive a reward because the Bible says that when you win someone else to the Lord, you'll be rewarded for it. So I want everybody here to be rewarded because you have won someone to Jesus. And it's just going to be a wonderful time in paradise. And we'll all be there in paradise if we don't stray the way. So let's look forward to that time in paradise and not look to the bad things that happen here on earth. They'll They'll keep us from it, from enjoying it.
3: I will be reading the third word of Jesus from the cross, from the Gospel of John 19, verses 26 through 27. Jesus said to his mother, Woman, this is your son. Then he said to the disciple, This is your mother. Normally when I get up to speak in front of the church, I I usually don't plan it, I don't write things down, but God just unpacked so much um, onto me in the last 24 hours. He was like, okay, you got to write it down because he knows I'm going to forget it. So um, I'll have to admit, the very first time when I read the book of John and I came across this verse, I did not have a very favorable opinion of it because I got really hung up on the word woman. To me, that just sounded so cold and so indifferent. And all I could hear anytime I would read that verse is my husband's voice overlaid saying, woman, make me a sandwich. Which he, <laughs> he doesn't really mean it, right? He's just playing. But you, you you get the picture, right? So when Pastor Miguel came up to me and said, hey, um, I think it would be good if you could speak on this particular word, uh, you know, the inner feminist in me just groaned because, but I decided to give it a shot anyway because I felt like God was calling me to get something different out of it, something that, you know, what he intended. So last week when I sat down to study the verse, I still found myself coming back to that one word in big red text, woman. So I walked away from it and didn't revisit it until last night and I have to say I'm really embarrassed because I spent an inordinate amount of time on my iPhone going through different translations just to see if I can find a word better than woman. Um, And translation after translation, it was woman, 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 the uh, new living trans, um, translation said, dear woman, which is a little better. So I was like, okay, okay, God, let me try one more thing. Let me try the Spanish version. So like I'm excited and I scroll to the verse and what does it say? Mujer, which is woman in Spanish. So after I was done wasting time with that, God was like, I could, I could just hear God rolling his eyes at me saying, are you done yet? Um, I was like, okay, fine, just help me understand it. So I read it again. Jesus said to his mother, Woman, this is your son. Then he said to the disciple, This is your mother. Then something finally hit my spirit, and I heard God saying very clearly, and it's amazing that you guys play that song come to the cross, see what Mary saw. I think, like many of you, I've been to the foot of the cross before, um, but it was never from her perspective. It was from the perspective at first as a non believer. Then many times I found it from the perspective of the thief who found salvation in Christ in his final hours, and maybe more recently as John the disciple, whom Christ loved. It just depended on where I was in my walk with God. But I had never come to the cross from the perspective of of Mary, from the perspective of a mother, which is interesting, because I am a mom. I'm a mom of two boys. You know, They're five and three. They drive me absolutely crazy, but I love them, and they have found a way to pull up my heartstrings no matter how much mischief they get in. No matter what trouble they get in, all they have to do is say one word, and like it just makes me melt, and they'll say it in the sweetest voice. They'll say, mama, and that's all they have to say, and they're not in trouble anymore with me, just whenever I hear that word, mama, it just it makes me melt, it makes me want to hold them forever, it makes me want to fix every bruise, every scrape, it makes me want to help their bad dreams go away. So when God invited me to come see what Mary saw, something really twisted violently inside of my chest because I got, I got the feeling that whenever I get it, thinking of a parent losing their child, of, of my kid getting hurt, but God beckoned me, he said, come and see. So I closed my eyes to see, and what did I see? I see Mary waiting outside, anxious to hear the verdict, worried for her son, her child, her head spinning, her ears ringing as the crowd shouts for his death, for the death of her child that she gave birth to. I could hear her heart hammering so hard in her chest with intense fear and maybe, maybe just a little bit of hope that her son would be released, but then that same hope just disappearing into the pit of her stomach when her son is handed over for execution. And when I close my eyes, I wonder if John has to hold Mary back when the soldiers start flogging him, when they start brutally beating him and saying such nasty things to him. I'm, I wonder how many times has she tried to rush forward to save him to come to his defense? Does she fall to her knees in grief when she realizes she can't save him? Does her heart break when they put a crown of thrones on his bloody head? Can she see him through her tears as her son struggles to carry the cross? How many times does she stumble in her despair to follow him up to the place where she knows her son will die? And my heart just wrenches when I think about how she has to watch the soldiers lay her child on the cross. She has to watch as the nails are driven viciously through the flesh of her son's hands, hands that used to be so tiny and perfect in her own hand. And as the cross is lifted and Jesus struggles for air, I wonder how Mary can bear it, how, how she can bear the heartbreak, the sound of her son gasping for breath. Does it feel like a knife through her chest with each breath? And then I wonder how long has to, she has to wait at the foot of the cross before Jesus lifts his bruised face and sees his mother standing there, the woman who has comforted him throughout his childhood, the woman who would tend to every, cut, every bruise and make him feel safe with a single hug, and there he sees her now at the foot of the cross, heartbroken, weeping, inconsolable, and that's when he speaks to her, woman, and all of a sudden it just becomes clear. Jesus sees how heartbroken his mother is and knows that if he were to call out to her, mother, mama, it will just break her even more. He meets her grief. It's just amazing. He meets her grief with such tenderness and concern. There he is dying in agony the weight of the world sin upon his shoulders, and his concern is for the well-being of his mother. After seeing that, so yeah, he got unloaded a lot in that one moment. After seeing that, I sat with God a long time and my spirit was just all over the place with emotion. And I realized many of us come to the foot of the cross just like Mary, heartbroken, inconsolable, filled with deep grief and loss. And if Jesus was able to provide for her in his greatest moment of humiliation and weakness, how much more can he provide for us now from the right hand of God, full of power and wealth and glory? How much more tenderness and love does he show us when he meets us where we are in our grief and our life? So when I see the word woman in red text now, I no longer see a cold and different exchange between Jesus and his mother. I see a great compassion at the cross. I see the grief and heartbreak of a mother who loses a son, but in his death, he becomes her savior. Mary's gain was far greater than her loss. She gained the love of a savior who death could never take from her. To quote a pastor, she gave him life in the flesh for a time. He gave her life in the spirit for eternity. At the cross, she lost an irreplaceable son and gained an incomparable savior. Her gain was far greater than her loss. And so too is our gain far greater than all of our grief and all of our loss.
4: So I have the fourth word from the cross, Matthew 27, 46. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When Jesus was on the cross, and when he looked and knew he was gonna be on the cross, the single thing that had never happened to Jesus in all of his existence was that he had been separated from the Father. He had never been separated from the Father. In the beginning of time, before there was time, he and the Father were one. And when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, looking at the suffering that was to come, there was without a doubt physical suffering involved, no question, and very unpleasant and very harmful and certainly something you would not want to go through. But I think that Jesus' greatest concern was that he was about to be separated from the Father. And that was what totally took his spirit and cast it as if it was in utter darkness. And the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, that he became sin who knew no sin, that we in him might become the righteousness of God. And in Isaiah 53, it says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering Yet we considered him smitten by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, every one to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When sin was laid on Jesus, then Jesus could no longer be one with the Father. Because the unholiness of sin could not be in full communion with the Father. And so Jesus had to take on that complete suffering of sin. And the complete suffering was to feel complete separation from the Father. He cried out after six hours on the cross, Why have you forsaken me? In the Old Testament, when the priest would go in, the high priest would go in once a year, he would sprinkle blood above the Ark of the Covenant at a special place between the cherubim called the mercy seat. And it says in the scripture, in Romans 3, that Jesus was made unto us a mercy seat. He was made unto us the full atonement for all our sins. And when the priest would go in and sprinkle that blood, then it would atone for the sins of the people for one year. But Jesus is the eternal mercy seat. And when the Father looked down in the Old Testament, He would look through the mercy seat and through the blood and be willing to forgive the sins of the people. But Jesus did such a great and more mighty thing because now the Father looks down at us through Jesus and His blood and provides forgiveness for our iniquity, for our sins. But Jesus had to suffer mightily. I think it's a suffering none of us will ever know or even have an inkling of because he was entirely separated from the Father. Now on this earth, we're not separated from the Father. We're in his creation. I believe the definition of hell is complete separation from the Father. And Jesus made it so that we now have free and full access to communion with the Father. And he said in John 17:3, "To know the Father and the Son is eternal life." So at that moment in Jesus' life, he took the sin of the whole world. He experienced complete separation from the Father. But what he did was open up complete access to the Father for every one of us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
5: I thirst. John, in chapter 19, verse 28, records those words that Jesus spoke from the cross. There are, it's a dual purpose, two words. One, the first is physical. There was physical, it showed his humanity. The second was spiritual, his relationship with the Father. I thirst." As I read this, I had remembrance of my mother and I standing in the hospital room with my grandmother. She was laying in the hospital bed, and not not too long, she would be moving from this life to eternal life. Her organs were shutting down. Her kidneys were failing. She was laboring to breathe, and my mother and I heard her say, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. My mother turned to me with tears rolling down her cheeks, flowing from her eyes, and just said, Mike, get that washcloth, put some ice in it, and just touch it to her lips. I did that, and, and, as, and as I came over and looked at my grandmother, I could see there was pain on her face. I could see her lips were parched. They were cracked, they were dry, and I know her throat was burning. I touched that moist washcloth to her lips, and she just accepted the refreshment. It wasn't much, but it was what she needed at the time. That's because her humanity, that's what happens to us. And that's what happened to Jesus when he was on the cross. It's his humanity that first said, I thirst. He was talking to us. He was saying, I know what you go through. I've been there, I understand. I'll be here for you. The second meaning of the words I thirst was a spiritual significance. His father was being separated from him, or he from his father. Do you remember there were rivers of living water through, he had running throughout his whole lifetime. What did he say in his ministry? I can give you rivers of living water. He abundantly gave it out to other people. Remember the story of when he met the Samaritan woman at the well? What did he say to her, do you remember? In John 4, he said, I can give you living water. And if you drink of this water, you will never thirst. I think that's what he was experiencing on the cross. He had that living water in his life. And as he began, as he was crucified, that living water became a trickle. And then a drop. And then it was going to be gone and separated from his father. That's his spirit. So we had the physical, He understands us, but the spiritual, His spirit, He was thirsty for the Father again. The good news is that as we're going to celebrate on Sunday, His resurrection, He was once again restored to the Father. And He still is available to give us that living water. If we accept that living water, we will be with Him in eternity. Thank you,
6: amen. I'm going to be sharing the sixth word. It is found in John 19, verse 30, where it says, when Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, when I was reading this word, it took me back to to memory lane and as Mike's as Mike shared earlier about that declaration of Jesus where he cried out a need from his body that he was experiencing thirst. Now when I experience thirst or when one of my children say, Daddy, I am thirsty, we take him to these cool these coolers in a quick trip or a or a supermarket, and we say, you know what? Take your pig. One says Gatorade, the other one says Pepsi, the other one says juice, and there's options for them. And when I think about what my savior was declaring that there was a, a need, before, the, before that the excruciating pain that he was going through, all the process to finish what he was sent to this earth to do so when i read this and i remember and i see that when jesus was crying out of a need that he had at the moment he wasn't given that option of choice yet he was giving some bitter wine some sour wine some of the versions of the bible calls it vinegar and when vinegar falls in a womb, it stings. And Jesus was experiencing some stinging because when the, when the soldiers went up there and started bathing him with that wine to humiliate him, it, one might say, and as I was contemplating on the word that Tiffany was sharing from the perspective of the mother, one, if I would have been there, If I would have been one of those present disciples, I might have said, wow, Jesus has nothing left. He is done. Yet again, Jesus during his pain and during that suffering was declaring that the victory was coming closer to be manifested when he said these three words, that change the course of everything. It is finished. Now when I, see the, when I hear those words, it is finished, coming from the mouth of Jesus, one of the things that comes to mind is that it is finished, meaning that I am forgiven. It is finished, meaning that no more condemnation will come my way. It is finished, meaning That the law, as important as it is, will not save me, but that sacrifice that Jesus completed on that cross when he said, It is finished, meaning that the Prince of Death has no place in this life, because by that completion and by those stripes, we've been set free.
0: Seventh word of Jesus from the cross. Jesus, cried out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. How do we face death? To some, it's a very scary prospect, the idea of dying and not being in this life. To some, it is a welcome rest from a life full of labors, responsibilities, and duties. To some, it is an unexpected visitor that came all of a sudden and didn't announce itself. To some, it is a cause for great fear. To some, it is a source of great peace. But what is true is that to all of us, death comes in this life, because we are told that because all has sinned, all will die in this life. But how did Jesus die? Well, from everything we have heard and from all the words that he shared from the cross, we can surely say that Jesus died a spectacular death, an extraordinary death. Forgiving those who were killing him caring for his mother, extending grace to a thief on a cross next to him, and maintaining his dignity and composure through incredible pain and sorrow. Jesus came to that moment of death, not as something that was imposed on him, though, but as something that he voluntarily did. He said, I lay down my life that I may take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. When you hear that, you think that there is a sense in which Jesus, out of his own free will, allowed all of these terrible things to happen to him. That he took the road into Jerusalem. That he allowed himself to be captured. That he allowed himself to be betrayed even though he knew his betrayer. And that he did not fight those who nailed him to the cross. At the end of the night, Jesus exclaimed, Father, into your hands, I command my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus knew that his earthly body has served its purpose. It had given him a chance to be one of us and to show us by example how to live. But he also knew that that body was coming to its end. That the life that he had lived in human form was about to come to its conclusion. But he also knew that the spirit, the divine part of Jesus, could never die. Therefore, when it came time for him to surrender, he surrendered his spirit to God who sent him to be born in that manger knowing that three days later, as he had said before, he would take that life back and in doing so, show us that death was defeated. Jesus has always been our example. But have you ever thought about the fact that even in death, he set the example for us. The way he died with such grace, such compassion for others, and such love for us, gives us the example of how we should not just live, but also how we should die. Death should not make us bitter, If anything, it should make us look forward to paradise, as John said. It should make us look forward to that moment when we will be able to shed this form and take on that glorified body that has been prepared for us. When my time comes, I hope to remember and to use the words of Jesus in my own life Father, into your hands I commend my spirit and I pray I can die like he did with forgiveness in my heart for anyone who's hurt me and for love for others that sees no bounds.